Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. In this episode, I talked to Lauren and Steven from Trip of a Lifestyle. That's a blog, and the thing is, we talk about a lot of different things. So there's some piece of early retirement and financial independence. There's a little bit of travel. There's some random other shit that we talk about too. But one thing that should be very interesting is Lauren and Steven launched a blog in a super competitive space. And we get into some of the details on how they were able to get national, very uh, widespread news coverage on CNN, Forbes, Business Insider, and so on. So I know a lot of times, a lot of the audience is, uh, well, you're really interested in niche sites and authority sites and that sort of thing. So we do talk about that stuff, but we also talk about so many other things. Uh, So, I mean, we all have very wide interests. So I hope you will stick around for the ride. This was uh, one of the most fun interviews that I've done. And I'm looking forward to interviewing Lauren and Steven again in the future, uh, probably for the Mile High Five podcast. But I may talk to them about some other random stuff because they actually know how to do keyword research and digital marketing and a lot of other pieces that they don't normally get to talk about in the financial independence space. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I am talking to Lauren and Steven. And they semi-retired at the age of 29 with fairly modest salaries as a digital marketer and a teacher. They drove to Alaska right after college, and I thought that was completely impossible. I actually wanted to do that like coming out of college, but I didn't realize I could even do it. And then in 2019, They visited all 63 national parks in the U.S. in about seven months. They're experts in lifestyle design and took a mini retirement in Kona, right? It was in Mm -hmm. Kona, uh, for six months as their honeymoon. Lauren found the Mr. Money mustache blog in her early 20s, and then they dove in headfirst. They work about 10 hours per week these days and have nearly total freedom and autonomy with their time. I texted them last night to hang out with me today and do this interview. And welcome. I'm, I'm excited to have you. So can you do a little intro of who you guys are and, and what you do right now? I'm let you take that one. All right, sure. <laughs> so um, I'm Steven. Uh, I started out, as you mentioned, as, as a teacher, taught high school for two years while I was getting my master's degree and ended up uh, my main career, I guess, was tutoring, private tutoring physics. So pretty much my whole career span was in education. And uh, Lauren? Um, yeah, my my background, my degree is in journalism, but I quickly pivoted out of that um, to do, uh, to hopefully make more money was the goal. Um, and uh, did more marketing. Um, and my So my first job when Stephen was teaching was marketing for a small uh, financial firm, and then kind of went more into digital marketing uh, in my later years. Yeah. And so like, I guess throughout our career, or honestly, right at the beginning of our Mm -hmm. career, we we had just come out of college. We were sort of naturally frugal because of that, because, you know, most college kids are. And we, I guess, found ourselves in a situation where 
we were happy with the stuff that we had and the amount of spending that we were doing. So we saw like other people getting brand new cars or working on getting a big house or doing whatever the normal adult things are. And we just sort of never felt like the need to do all that stuff. So we had this kind of surplus of money building up. And so pretty early on, we tried to find out what do you do when you have a surplus of money? And so we discovered investing and we made a kind of dumb investment choice to begin with. But we, we were thinking in our heads like, well, if you invest enough money though, investments pay returns one day, like you don't have to work for money anymore. And so I was at work when I discovered Mr. Money Mustache, which is like very convenient when you're not wanting to be there. But we kind of engineered that ourselves. And then I saw it wasn't even his blog. It was a news article on him that I was like, this guy's living the dream that we were just discovering. Um, And so I sent Stephen an email like from my work email. That's appropriate. And I was like, hey, (laughs) this guy (laughs) is doing it. We can quit eventually (laughs) um yeah and so uh you were probably on a beach because you were probably skipping classes but yeah i was in grad school at that time (laughs) i was so Um, jealous and i was not paying as much attention as i should and i eventually dropped out of that particular program but anyway (laughs) (laughs) knowing when to quit though is a good is a good thing yeah very nice and you guys blog at trip of a lifestyle right so we'll go ahead and mention it so people could dive in pretty deep and that that's a great name. Very good marketing. Who who came up with the the name? I did. I feel like that one was yeah. yours. We had a list like where we both you know put some names out there, and I think one of hers stuck. Um, and yeah, I mean the the sort of meaning I guess behind the name was that throughout all this, where we were saving all this money and going to work full time, we figured out like uh, we don't really want to wait for that like retirement phase because even though we don't have to wait till we're 60 years old or whatever to do it still like you you get burned out working so as you mentioned you know we took six months in hawaii we took seven months and visit all the national parks and it felt like every time we went on these trips it was more part of our lifestyle than like a everyone always said to us like wow this is a once in a lifetime thing that you're doing and we're like well why does it have to be once in a lifetime it could kind of be part of your lifestyle if you engineer it that way so Basically, you guys have been on a ton of podcasts. I'm not sure how many. And you talk about financial independence and a lot of those stories, well, they've already been told. And my audience, typically, you know, we're launching websites, we're running websites, and you guys did that in 2019. You are able to get major press coverage from tons of huge outlets. We're talking CNN, Forbes, Business Insider, BuzzFeed, probably another few big ones, and then tons of smaller ones. And this is a niche that's generally saturated, very competitive, and really you've been able to crush it as far as like publishing good content, people link to you, and it's very impressive. It covers personal finance topics, travel, lifestyle, and a bunch of other random things. But I kind of want to start in a different area with how nerdy you both are. So you enjoy, I guess, g- games, but they'd be described as like tabletop games, like analog games, not digital games, right? Analog games. Correct. And, like that. Yes, analog games. And your, your Trekkies. In a huge way, I saw on your van, you have the little, is, it, is there a name for this or... Live long and prosper. It's okay. Spock's, uh, well, it's the Vulcan salute. but The, the Vulcan salute. Yeah. yeah. Vulcan salute. <laughs> S- 
I mean, it started with Spock, I guess, in the original series, but. Okay. Yeah. So big nerds. Uh, <laughs> and Steven, you're a pretty big, accomplished Magic the Gathering player. Is that accurate or is that? Uh... I'm not that accomplished, okay. but I, I would like to be accomplished. T- tell us about <laughs> it. What, what is this game? Uh, so it's a tabletop trading card game. Actually, it's the first trading card game to ever exist. Uh, and it was created in 1993, so it's pretty old now in, in the scheme of games. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really cool, like, fantasy strategy game. And what I like about it, like, my favorite thing about it is that it's extremely hard and difficult, and the game is ever-changing because new cards are coming out all the time. So it's just like a... I, I think I first touched a magic card when I was, like, eight or nine years old, and I've pretty much played on and off since then. So it's like a lifelong challenge because of how difficult the game is and how new it stays. Do you have any comments on that, Lauren? Well, I was just going to say it's definitely more on than off in recent years because we have friends who game now. And so um, and more free time and more free time. Um, but it's also interesting because like even if you're playing with the same cards, it's never the same game. So there's some bit of randomness in every game, um, and that keeps it interesting, even if you were playing with the same cards. Okay. I've been getting Lauren a little more into it lately. I I was going to say, are are you into magic as well? Um, like, yes, I'm, I feel like because I don't, I'm not as accomplished that it, um, (laughs) um, that it, like, I'm a little more shy when it comes to playing in like an organized format, like at a tournament or game shop or something. Like I am more into casual play, I would say, than like organized sitting across from someone and like feeling bad that I'm taking too long to make decisions. <laughs> okay. So that that means there are there are tournaments, there's underground games going on, there's a whole counterculture with with this going on. So what right. I what I like to tell people is you can look up uh, magic events that are happening in your area pretty easily. Um, and if you look them up in any like medium populated city in the United States and actually probably at least 10 other countries, any given week, there will be tournaments within like a 25 mile radius of you probably. So it's a pretty popular game. Interesting. And then Lauren, do you have a specific favorite game these days? Um, like besides Magic the Gathering that I'm like trying to get more into. Um, I do like Settlers of Catan. Um, Flux is less strategy, but also fun. And we recently discovered uh, Exploding Kittens, which is a, a pretty fun game as well. I'm a more social gamer. So anything that brings like a group of people together um, is very fun. But I like the challenge that Magic presents. It's more one-on-one, um, which is like new for me. So now we'll... We'll get away from the fun stuff and we'll talk about, <laughs> now we'll move into some of the the FI aspects. And you guys publish a lot of information on your blog. Your annual expenses are about $28,000 per year. And r- right now uh, you guys are 31, is that right? Yep. Okay, so you're 31, your expenses are 28,000 and you retired using the 4% rule. So uh, that generally implies that you saved about 700K or so, which sounds super impressive, uh, especially on uh, fairly conservative uh, salaries that you guys went through your 20s and reached this goal. So can you, I guess, tell us about some of the early 
salaries that you were earning and then strategies for saving and just kind of the, the broad strokes of your 20s. Yeah. Um, so when we sort of discovered financial independence and slash investing, um, actually, we were not yet in the full career phase yet. I was a grad student and you were making what in California? Like $18 an hour. That's what yeah. I like wanted to get. I think I started at 15 and they were like, we'll give you 18 like in the next review. <laughs> so, so for like, uh, I want to say like six to nine months, something like that. We live in California, high expenses, really low pay, um, but we were still actually able to save money. And then as our careers began right after that, um, we were making around roughly like 38K a year each, something like that. Um, and with those salaries, like we suddenly felt like those were huge incomes um, compared to what we were living on. And we were actually able to save uh, probably, I'd say, roughly 60% of our post-tax income on those salaries, plus like a couple small side hustles. So those were kind of our, our early years. And in two years of that, uh, we, we got some like very small raises and built up our side hustles a little bit. But in those two years, we were able to save over $100,000 alone. Amazing. And then, Lauren, you said you got like an $18 per hour uh, job, and that's what you were aiming for at the time. So can you tell us maybe a little bit about that job and any of the negotiation uh, process to get the salary you wanted, even though it was kind of low, right? Yeah. Well, that was in um, during when Stephen was in grad school. Um, I We had moved to the area. That was Stephen went to grad school in California. And so we moved across the country because we're from Florida. Um, brand new place, knew no one. Um, and Stephen had his piece figured out. And I was like, I'll just get a job. And that wasn't as easy as like we all hope that it would be um, when we start applying. Um, and I had applied to a bunch of jobs. Some of them were like, you know, entry level jobs can be kind of all over the place. Some of them are like terrible sales things and, and all that. So I was slightly discouraged and I was just driving around our like community and I saw this really interesting building and I was like, I don't know. I've never heard of this name. And I went home and I Googled it. They had a careers page. They said, call and I said, okay, and I dialed it and I called and they're like, come in for an interview. And so that was my first job. It was a secretary position, but because I had some of these other skills from my degree, I ended up helping them rewrite their website. I did a bunch of product photography for them. Um, so I was able to like add more value. And I think that's that helps you um, in negotiations to ask for more money. Um, and then when we moved um, back to um, Florida, uh, when Stephen was a school teacher, those, those two years, um, having had that experience in marketing, um, I went looking more specifically for positions in that field um, and kind of applied the same thing, just looking for opportunity. And I went to that one asking probably for more money than they were advertising. But again, it was just a negotiation and trying to add that additional value to get there. Got it. Okay. And then you, and I, I said you're re retired uh, but but you guys do work a few hours per week, and we'll we'll just call it semi-retired, so no one gets too upset. And it's okay people... if they get upset. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I uh, I mean our our lifestyle today. I actually still have kind of like a freelance contract, basically with the tutoring company that I worked for full time before. I work something like probably ten hours a week. Uh, Lauren's 
pretty much I'm retired, pretty retired at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had quit my job two years ago, or I guess two years ago when we went um, to every national park in 2019. And then I just like didn't get another job. But I did. Uh, I do do some social media work for um, one client and that probably takes an hour a week. So okay. feeling it, pretty retired. <laughs> that that sounds like it. And it's, I mean, so it's social media and we were chatting before. So it sounds like you just schedule a bunch of social media posts to go live throughout the month. Mm-hmm. I, I create them and um, uh, talk with, with my client, you know, every once in a while I'll do check-ins and see how things are going and if there's anything specific they want to promote. But most of the idea generation is on me. Um, and then I create the posts and schedule the posts. Yeah. Okay. And since you are still working a little bit, I'm curious, have you needed to draw down at all from the, the bigger Nest egg? No. Um, so <laughs> we're actually adding to it. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, leaving my full-time employer, um, I pretty much told them like, well, I'm going to leave the job, but if you, if you wanted to negotiate something part-time, that's cool. And if not, that's cool too. I could just quit. And then we got into this negotiation process, uh, for, for part-time freelance work. And I, wasn't super motivated to really work anymore um, because we had saved so much. So, you know, I, I, I threw out what I felt were kind of, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call them outrageous, but aggressive numbers. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, sort of take it or leave it politely, uh, you know, um, and they took it. So I, I felt like I couldn't say no because the, the pay per unit of time input per hour, you know, is so much more now than I was even making full time. So it just seems like it's difficult to say no to that. And I actually kind of like what I do. Like teaching is not a drudgery, horrible job, especially for me. It's something I like to do naturally. So I said yes to that. Cool. And you, you tutor in physics? Yeah. Okay. Is it college level or? Yeah. Undergrad level. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And that's, yeah, it's so interesting because when you have the money in the bank and you don't need the job, then you have all the leverage and you could ask for whatever you want. And it doesn't matter if you get rejected, you just walk away. It's so powerful. And I think I want to, I do want to add like a little bit of something that if you are hoping, so like this is, we did the same process after those two years when we were moving to Hawaii, um, negotiating with our employers for like, Hey, we're walking away, but like, we can keep doing stuff for you. Um, you know, however much, you know, this would be kind of the rate I would hope for, but it kind of does relate heavily to being a good employee and adding that value kind of circling back to like, if you are a good employee and you help them make money, then like they would be more willing to negotiate with you. And I think that's like an important piece of the puzzle, especially if you're wanting to keep those relationships active rather than just walking away. It's for anyone who's in that position where you feel like I have some money in the bank, I have this negotiating leverage, not only do a good job and be a good employee, because of course you absolutely have to have that. That's so true. But if you almost feel like you're getting fed up with work or fed up with your employer, if you let that take its natural course and you just get angry and angrier each day, uh, or you just do a worse and worse job each day. Well, then you have no negotiating leverage when the time comes to cut ties and maybe work out like remote work or part-time work or something like that. 
um, you'll have you'll have nothing because they won't think of you as a good employee anymore. You've let it sort of taper off. So you need a big smile on your face and you need to do everything right and, and have a good positive relationship. Not just do a good job, but have a positive attitude as well because nobody wants to retain someone who they feel like wants to quit anyway. Mm-hmm. I, that's exactly what I did, by the way. That's great. <laughs> it was, Yeah, they laid me off. Oh. So what happened was... I um I did the bad thing. I did the the oh. latter version. Oh. So that, that's why. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. But you're the opposite example. Right. Got it. Okay. So we were I was working remotely already like for for years, but then we decided we wanted to sell our place in Atlanta. We drove to Montana, traveled around, moved there for a few years, but uh once we realized that we wanted to like stay there, I just called my boss and said, "Hey, I moved. My wife got a job here and we're staying here. would love to work it out. And I, w- I had slowly been like, I mean, I wasn't doing a bad job, but I was, I was acting a lot more autonomously, which is not great in the sort of classic corporate gig that I had. They didn't want you to make decisions. They wanted you to just follow instructions. So when I, when I told him that I got laid off like two weeks later, turned out to be the best thing ever, but. Because you had the money in the bank. I had money in the bank and then I was I was like I I am like developing these entrepreneurial skills so right. I was like I'm going to I'm going to do my business now. So so yeah, it would have been good to have more leverage cuz the benefits were really nice. Right. Yeah. But in the long run getting laid off was really good. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. So you haven't had to draw from the nest egg at all. Um you're actually doing really well. Um when you look at your overall breakdown, and I didn't ask you to check this before, but you probably have some taxable, like post-tax brokerage accounts, and then you have some retirement accounts. Do you know what the breakdown is between those two? Not sure on the percentage, but I would say- Mostly uh, taxable, the, right? Our biggest single brokerage account is probably the taxable brokerage account, um, which is the most easily accessible. And then second to that would be our two Roth IRAs, which also the majority, because we're still fairly young, the majority of what's in there is contributions, which you can withdraw at any time with no penalty or no taxes. Um, so really, most of our like brokerage assets or investments, other than the house we live in, are like very readily accessible to us. And then we do have some amount in traditional IRAs, and like uh, employer-sponsored programs, which are pre-tax programs, like 401k-type accounts. Okay, cool. I always wonder about that because the the common wisdom, and it's really good to you know max out your your 401ks when your when your your employer will match and all that stuff. Um, but for for me and for us, my my wife and I, we reached a point where. We had a pretty decent amount in those retirement accounts. I'm like, oh shit, we can't touch those until we're 59 and a half. And we potentially would want to access it much sooner. The difference between us is like a decade of of years. So I think like we had more, we had a lot more in those accounts. So it took us a little longer to build it up. So very interesting. Now, did it sounds like you probably at least did the uh, employer match as much as possible. And then you max out your Roth uh, 401 or yeah, your Roths when you were able to. Yeah. uh, So the sort of like generic advice, I don't want to call it advice, but the generic like plan that we think is a good one um, is 
always get your full match, right, from whatever employer-sponsored plan you have, because that's basically free money. And even if you withdrew that early, um, assuming it's vested, if you pay the penalty and the taxes, you're still ahead because the matching is just that good. It's usually between plus 50% or plus 100% on the matching. So there's just no beating that. That's the first place you should put money, in my opinion, or our opinion, I think. Um, and then uh, I think for most people, especially young people, it makes sense to go to a Roth IRA from from there um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it's usually when you're young, they're your lower earning years, and the Roth is typically favored in your lower earning years over a traditional and number two, it's just more flexible. Like I said, you know, you can get contributions back out of the Roth, which is really, really nice. So for us, and, and then for us, we spilled everything after that into the taxable brokerage account. And then later on, like post-retirement slash semi-retirement, uh, when we were paying for our own health insurance, we started also maxing out an HSA as well. But having all that money readily accessible because of the taxable brokerage account uh, is what also allowed us the flexibility to pay cash for both of the houses that we bought, um, one of which is now a rental property and one's the one we live in. Um, and we were glad we were able to do that. Got it. And I'm trying to think, well, one thing you mentioned that I never thought of is like the employer match, even if it's 50%, is going to be more than if you paid the penalties if you had to access it. So I never thought of that. But anyway. It turned out okay for me at the <laughs> end, but all right. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else with earnings or savings, any other broad thoughts before we kind of shift gears a little bit? I think that covers it pretty well. I mean, really the thing that, that we try to stress for everyone though is the thing that made it all possible is staying happy on low expenses. And if you, I think if you do that young, when you haven't leveled up your expenses yet, it just makes your life so much easier. It's almost automatic that you save a huge percentage of your income. So that's sort of our message to like young people, especially young professionals, you know, just keep living the lifestyle you were already happy with in college and you'll get rich automatically. Yeah, we have, um, we really like, in fact, these Ikea end tables that are like $10 and like we still have them and they're still in good shape because they're like, indestructible they're just four legs and a tabletop they're like very modern but we that, like that's them. our coffee table that's our coffee table um <laughs> and they've, they've been our coffee tables like forever yeah i think, like, yeah, I think in since every... we graduated college because we didn't have ikea in gainesville then we went to california discovered ikea and we we're like oh this is really nice and then we like just have kept them that's a pretty so, good example that of was... being really happy with a ten dollar coffee table so and i guess like the big example like a large dollar item example would be that we've always shared one car one used car between the two of us throughout our whole career we had one car and actually we still only have one car it's our camper van so that that was a huge boon to our finances if you can get by with two people on one car I like to say half a car per person in your household, uh, <laughs> then, uh, you, again, you're going to almost get rich automatically. Right. Very cool. And one other thing I'll, I'll point out, and you can correct me on the math, but I think it's something like uh, if you save 56% of your uh, salary, is that right? 56% of your salary in nine to 10 years you could retire. You'll have enough based on the 4% rule. Is that roughly right? Or did I fuck um, up one of the numbers there? You flop two numbers around very close. It's if you save 65%, then 
then I believe it's 10 to 11 years until you're ready to retire based on the 4% rule. Um, and that, that number doesn't scale linearly. So like if you save half your income, 50% instead of that 65%, you go from retiring in 10 years to retiring in like 16 to 17 years. Um, and I read somewhere that the American average savings rate is something like 6%. And so based on the 4% rule, if you're not taking into account like social security and stuff, that takes actually over 60 years of work to reach retirement. So effectively never if you start when you're an adult. Um, so yeah, it's really important stuff to, to fit, pay attention to your savings rate as a percentage. It's like the most important statistic. Yeah. And I, I didn't do that in my twenties. Otherwise I would have retired really much <laughs> earlier. Cause I, I was living like pretty poor. And then I was like, Oh, I'll buy a house. Oh, my, my friend got a new car and then I got a, a car, not a new one. Thank God. It's the truck that you saw. Mm -hmm. So luckily that was a, a cheap one. So you were talking about, um, you know, be, being frugal and I'm just curious, have you felt deprived at any point where you're like, Oh, I'm, I feel like I am missing out because we have to make these compromises. Absolutely not. I've never felt like it was a sacrifice. I think part of the reason that our goal is to like reach people when they're younger is kind of what we touched on earlier. When you're used to living um, with less and you're happy, like we were in college, I was happy with my cheap furniture. Um, I didn't see a reason why I needed to now go to like rooms to go and buy, you know, many times greater cost furniture. Um, I'm still just going to sit on it and it's the same comfort level. And like, I didn't see value in that. Um, and so it's a lot easier, I think, when you're younger to just not ever level up. Whereas when you have taken those steps to buy into the expensive furniture to, um, and I'm kind of like using that generally, because if you buy a new house and then you furnish it all from rooms to go, it, it might add up, you know, if you have two end tables, a coffee table, an entertainment, you know, couch, like that, it does add up. Um, a new house, a new car, those things, those milestones, those checkboxes that kind of society has for young adults as they progress in their career, it's a lot harder to undo those. And I think that's where people start feeling that deprivation or that sacrifice. Um, but if you are happy, which we were in college and I didn't, it wasn't because like, it was because of what I was doing, not because of like the stuff I had. And so if you have that distinction and you know that it's a lot easier, I think, to just keep the course. Yeah. The other thing that I like to sort of point out to people sometimes is, you know, if you make a certain amount of money and let's say there's a couple things that you really want to buy, you're really excited about. And one of them is like a brand new car. And the other one is a brand new boat. Right. And you go out and you save up your money and you buy the brand new car. Would you say that you feel super deprived after you make that purchase because you didn't buy the boat? Most people, I don't think feel that way. They feel excited. They just bought something they really wanted. They saved up for a brand new car and they were successful in getting that, right? Financial independence is the same way. And so the way we kind of looked at it was, well, we could buy a brand new car or a bigger house or a boat or whatever it is. But there's also this other item you can buy as well. And that thing is freedom, right? Uh, the freedom to do what you want with your time anytime you want. And that's just another thing that's available for purchase, right? You buy some investments and that buys you that item, that luxury item. And so by not buying the new car or a second car or an upgraded house or whatever, we were instead purchasing something that we just wanted more. So how could we not be excited about that? So we constantly felt like we are reaching our goal, 
our goal is just different from what other people's goal might be. Um, and so we almost treated it like a game. Like every yeah. time that we saved money or found a way to spend less, we were like, high five. Yes, like, <laughs> high five. We just figured this out. And that's going to get us closer to this extreme, the ultimate luxury that we want, which is freedom, which is better than any new car could be in, in our opinion. So. And one of the things that helped with that tremendously was kind of gamifying it. We tracked our net worth every month and seeing that number increase and seeing um, there's like a couple columns on our spreadsheet, but like one of them is like specifically how much we saved this month and then like a total so far. And so like every month we were like, holy crap, like we increased the saving from last month and like, you know, we color coded it and like there are just many reasons, like at least one reason, right, to celebrate every month, if not like every purchase when we can like save money or whatever. It was also cool sharing the goal because sometimes like with couples, you know, one of them wants the car and one of them wants the boat. And when your goal is like to have freedom and spend your time however you want, Together. That, that's that's a goal you can get behind together a lot more easily than a particular item. Even if you want a new car, sometimes it's two different new cars that, that each person wants, right? But this one's really easy to unite on. And so I think it just made us like a stronger couple and like improved our marriage as well. Mm -hmm. So I, there's just like so many positives to picking mm -hmm. that as your goal. Very cool. And I'll, I'll point out too, uh, it's like uh, you maybe didn't get some things that some people would think, oh, I would really want to have like a nicer end table or, or, or whatever right. <laughs> to stick with the furniture analogy. And it's just about making choices on spending money on things that are important to you and right. that maybe that you could enjoy a lot more than some of the other things that you wouldn't. And I know you guys are uh, big into photography. So I know did that, spend on that. Yeah. I was going to say that gear is not cheap. You probably have spent um, thousands of dollars on glass. I mean, lenses are so expensive. Yeah. So that's a really great point. Um, we've bought lots of stuff that is not an absolute necessity throughout the years. Um, and we have this article on our blog called How to Make Totally Unnecessary Purchases. And it touches on exactly that. Um, and so... I'll, I'll give you two examples. One is the one you just gave, which is photography equipment. And so the way we thought through photography equipment, because admittedly, the, the reason we wanted to buy photography equipment is because we both love photography and it's a fun hobby. Like, let's not make any mistake about that. But we thought, okay, so how do we make that purchase efficient? So number one, we turned it into a business and we used all that photography equipment to actually make way more money than we ever spent on photography equipment. So that's one cool way is to pick a hobby that can make you money. And that works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. And then the other way is how can we buy equipment that has the lowest depreciation curve? Um, so for example, in photography, if you buy a camera body um, that has a lot of electronics in it and they go obsolete really fast and they depreciate really fast. But if you buy nice lenses and you focus your funds there and just like kind of cheap out on the camera body a little more, um, then you can actually end up selling those lenses for exactly what you paid for them in a lot of cases and exchanging them for other stuff you want throughout the way. So you almost don't lose anything except for the investment opportunity cost of tying that money up in camera gear. Perfect. Um, yeah. Oh, the other example, I, I forgot I said I was going to give two examples. So I'll briefly give you the other one, which is magic cards, which you brought up earlier, um, which again are just something with a very, very low depreciation curve. In fact, on average, magic cards have tended to I increase in value over time. Some of them. So, in fact, like if you added up the total amount of money that I've spent on magic cards, which is a lot of money, I'll admit, um, <laughs> it is actually way less than the current value of my collection. 
Okay. Um, so if you're really into like a collectible and you think it's actually a good investment, maybe like it beanie is. Beanie Babies might not be. Right? Sometimes but... they're not though. So <laughs> so really trying to keep your spending lower is the best way. But if you're going to spend on something unnecessary, at least think about it in that context. What's the most you spend on a card? On one individual magic card? Yeah. Or, or however, if they're, if like yeah. it's more oh, difficult yeah, no, to buy a no, set. No, that's okay. Yeah. That's a okay. good question. You do usually buy a set like a lot of times. The most I have ever spent on one magic card is $1,300. Is that the Tundra? Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it's for any magic nerds listening. It's an alpha Tundra in heavily played condition. And today I could sell it for around $3,000 very easily. And wow. when did you buy it? How many years ago? I forget. Probably two to three years ago is my guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, people uh, shoot me an email if you are into magic too, because the thing is, like, it's probably He's like, who are these weirdos? <laughs> it's I know they're out. I was gonna say all my friends in high school. Um, uh, funny enough, it was like the AP physics class. So all my friends were. Uh, I mean, there's a correlation. Just playing, and they were like, "Hey, you want to play?" And I'm like, "Ah, nah, I'm like working on some other thing." So I, I never did, but they spent hours, and they, they were, yeah, the the coolest kids. Us in AP physics. <laughs> It's a it's a very cool game, and it does correlate with other nerdy things for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so completely off track. Oh, it, <laughs> we may as well stick here, right? So the interesting thing is like some of these weird tangents. Like the deeper you go into a place where you think no one's interested, those are the times where a handful of people, like five or six people, are probably going to send an email and say, "I loved Magic, or I play Magic now, or I I want to buy the card, or whatever." <laughs> The, the tundra they're they're gonna i'll get i'll, I'll connect you to if you want to buy mine email me we can, yeah. we can work something out okay so another big purchase that you guys made uh kind of a splurge was the camper van so t tell us a little bit about that and why you got it and lauren why don't you go ahead uh so it's our most expensive vehicle um by a lot um, it was what twelve thousand three hundred. Yes, and to put that in context, I recently did this calculation. Oh, our average vehicle—if you average the price of every vehicle we've ever bought—our average cost per vehicle is around three thousand five hundred dollars. So that gives you context <laughs> for how much of a splurge the camper van was. Yes, it felt very weird to like spend that much on a vehicle for us, but um. Part of it was that we knew we wanted to do this big trip to every national park, and we knew that it would be going into remote air areas of wilderness, driving all the way to Alaska from Florida and everywhere in between. And there was some sense of we wanted the peace of mind to have like a very mechanically sound vehicle, something with very low miles. We tend to these cars that we have purchased in the past tended to have you know higher miles, older vehicles. Um, so. We were actively looking for something that was slightly different than what we had purchased before. So <clears throat> it's a 2013 um, Nissan NV200. Um, the reason we went with that particular van is it has really good gas mileage, something like 26 miles to the gallon, um, which is very important on a months-long road trip. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that was like – we just knew we wanted something that was economical and – um, mechanically sound. The guy we bought it from, we bought it used and um, he was the, the sole owner. He bought it like from the dealership, had every single documentation, every oil change, like everything he'd ever done. Um, and it had less than 60,000 miles on it. So we were like, um, seems like a good deal. 
So we were feeling pretty fancy. Dressing yes. That thing around. We, I still point, feel fancy. <laughs> at this point, I think it has like 130, 140,000. It's closer to 140, I think. Like yeah. Okay. So and it, it probably represented a huge upgrade. I have a 2005 F-150, so I don't have power locks or windows. So you were stepping into probably a, a modern vehicle that you had not owned such before, right? It has backup cameras. And that is like totally bizarre for us i was and, and just having a navig a display like there's a navigation yeah. system built in which is actually very nice because we knew we'd be going into canada and like we didn't have data planned for canada so like knowing we had maps and stuff like that was all very cool but also very fancy and we were like this is the craziest thing yeah. no like seat warmers or anything but it does have electric windows and locks <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah and i was gonna say whenever i get like a rental car i'm like oh wow th these are so nice yes. Now. yes it's pretty crazy anytime we rent a car we're like what is this new feature yeah. like people live like this <laughs> And so you, you did all the, the national parks and we could talk tons about that, but I know oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we have to uh, hit some of the other topics, but uh, just a quick note on the build out is it's a fairly straightforward build out. You guys are not carpenters. In Absolutely not. You're being polite. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's the most basic camper van that you can imagine. Uh, it's not the uh, Instagram dream vans. It's basically a wooden platform uh, in the bed of the cargo van with a bed on top. We did not splurge on the bed. It's a, or I'm sorry, we did not skimp on the bed. It's a nice, actual, real bed, not just like foam pads, which a lot of camper vans have. Although it was pretty cheap. It was like $280, I think. It's called a, an All's Well mattress. It's um, online company. Yeah, um, which we recommend. Like it's it's pretty nice. We were looking for something that was a low low enough profile to not take up too much vertical space in the back so that you could still like sit up and be comfortable and not feel like you're a sardine, you know. And our our most recent uh, upgrade to the van was uh, bolting a little power inverter underneath the van so we can charge uh, laptops, cell phones, stuff like that. To the floor of the van, not like underneath it. Yeah, yeah to the floor underneath the bed and the platform. Um, so yeah, we can charge stuff overnight or charge stuff while we're driving, which is a lot nicer. Very handy with photography, with all the batteries that that, um, requires. So. Okay. And, um, I think, is it like a, they're like two by twelves on, is the platform and then plywood and then the mattress on top. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of have like storage areas for different things like camera gear here and maybe food here and clothes here or something. Yeah. yeah. There's basically four quadrants underneath the bed. Um, We've organized them. <laughs> you can see a full tour on our website, but it's not that exciting. It, it'll take you like 10 seconds. If we were to show you in real life, we open the doors and that's pretty much like, the tour. There it is. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Well, from a resale perspective, obviously you put a shitload of miles, so that depreciates it. But technically, you could, you know, take that stuff out, and mm -hmm. then it is a cargo van type thing that maybe has more universal appeal. Although camper vans are so fucking popular, yeah, you probably would have more value. That um, was a consideration. A yeah, that was actually our original plan. Was oh. was it'll be so much easier to sell if we can just pull this thing out and then sell it as a cargo van. And we originally planned to sell it immediately after our national parks trip, but we had so much fun with the camper van lifestyle, and we were like, "Well, twenty six miles a gallon is it's not good, but it's good enough that this can be like our daily driver." So it's our only vehicle uh, still. So we we're always driving around a camper van everywhere we go. Makes it a little weird when you go grocery shopping and you're like loading groceries onto your bed and yeah. people are like what that's weird yeah, they the live in their car yeah the walmart uh pickup 
employees are always like, uh, where should I put the groceries? Do you live back here? I actually had someone ask me, like, do you live back here? Very, like, seriously. And I was like, I mean, sometimes, I guess. Sort of, sometimes. Technically. (laughs) But it saves a crazy amount of money on hotels. Yeah. Yeah. So... While you were on this big trip, again, we're, we're just glossing over it, and I'd love to talk more some other time. Sure. So while you were on the trip is when you started your blog, right? Correct. Yep. So it's a pretty saturated area, like I mentioned before. What made you think you could launch a blog and have people read it? Why would they read your stuff? I don't think we really had a thought for that at the time. Um, I, I think like the impetus for starting our blog was just, we did this whole financial independence thing. We saved a bunch of money. It completely revolutionized and changed our lives because we had this little bit of pretty basic, just like investing information when we were 22 years old. And now we're like getting ready to retire. And we wish other people knew this. Like we just wanted to scream it from the rooftops. And I think that's kind of a like common trend in the fire community is like you reach fire and then you're like, I need to tell everyone about this and not everyone wants to hear it. So, you know, we would talk to like friends and family about it. And so oh, yeah, everyone thought we were crazy. <laughs> some were like slightly excited about it, but like, yeah, maybe later I'll do that. And then others are like, you're, you're crazy. I will say that the crazy th- people, the people who thought maybe we were a little not, it wasn't going to work. Like they have seen now that maybe it does work. And I've noticed some, some trends among friends, like making more intentional lifestyle design type decisions in their life. Um, because I think they've seen like, Oh, I can have like autonomy over my own life. And like, that's been really nice. But really, I mean, we started the blog to put the information out there because we realized you can't, you can't grab people by the shoulders and tell them you need to do this. So if you put the information out there for free, then people who are open and receptive to that information, hopefully they'll find, they'll mm-hmm. go looking for it or they'll find it and they'll receive it. And then other people will say it, see it and say, that's a bunch of garbage. I don't believe that. And that's fine. They can move on and do their own thing. So uh, a blog is like passive like that. How much did your journalism education and background help with either launching or producing high quality content on the blog? I mean, I definitely lean on it, especially from a writing perspective. Um, I also did some multimedia classes in in college, but um, I mean, my career being in, in digital marketing, I mean, doing, um, you know, website copy and doing um, a little bit of design work here and there, um, photography, I can, I think all of those uh, skills kind of went into it. At my last job that I quit before going on our trip um, was much more like digital media focused. So, um, you know, creating every day on WordPress as opposed to like using it occasionally to just upload something, um, which is kind of more where the newspaper was. I, I worked at the newspaper in college, so like we weren't very advanced at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am lucky that Stephen is also a very good communicator. We both edit each other whenever we write articles. And I think that is very strong as well for our website that it's never just one person's like brain dump of thoughts. It's very much we we both we talk through ideas um, and we we edit each other. And I think that makes it a, a stronger, more compelling argument as well. Every time we write an article, she has a lot of experience writing. And I have a lot of experience teaching and making like a logical flow out of how to 
how to get someone, convince someone. Yeah, I'm, I'm a creative writer, <laughs> naturally more so. Yeah. So every article is, we sign our names at the bottom of the article, but the truth is every article is a collaboration. Yeah. So. Do I suspect some of the articles originate from, you know, one person and then you, you started, can you take me through the process of, let's say, uh, Stephen, you had the idea for the headline and what you wanted to cover. How does the back and forth happen? Well, so when we started our, so before we launched, we like did this exercise of like, do we have enough to say? And so I remember very vividly, um, we were at Planet Fitness we were both on the, on elliptical side by side and we were just talking through all the different topics we wanted to cover. And we were like, how many ideas can we generate? Like how many article ideas can we generate? Like, is this a real thing or are we going to like, you know, just completely like flatline after 10 articles, you know? And so that was one of our big exercises and we still have all those article ideas. We use Trello to kind of keep track of stuff. And so we have a whole article idea list and then like more prioritized ideas and um, we add to them still, but like that brain dump, it's that funny. exercise. You like unlocked that memory for me. <laughs> you forgot all <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I remember very vividly now. It, we were just so, like going on the elliptical and yes. just typing furiously. And talking back and forth and like, you know, we probably sounded like we were you know, creating the next Facebook or something, just got the fervor. And I'm like, no one even knows that we're like in business mode right now, like really, you know, going at it. But that, that was, um, that was like the initial process. And we still add ideas today. We'll have an experience and we'll be like, that would be a good idea for an article. And we go add it to the list. But in terms of like, we have a working title that we kind of like, and then sometimes we go and just like, see if there's an opportunity to kind of tweak it for SEO. A lot of times there's not because it's like um, a personal idea that I feel like it's not going to be something that's really searchable. Um, it's more, you know, how to make unnecessary purchases. Like I don't think people are searching that. And I don't think that there's a way to make it optimized for that. And like, I don't know the person's intent if they were to land there would get the value out of it. It's more for someone who's a blog reader. And so we have some of that, like a lot of travel stuff is more oriented toward that way, but. Yeah. So it's, that like brings up a really good point, I guess, about our blog, which is some articles and some content are literally on the blog. In fact, probably more than 50% is on the blog because it's stuff we want to say and we, we just need people to know this information. And it doesn't matter how much it converts. It's just invaluable need to know information that we want people to read. Yeah, it's that life-changing stuff, mm -hmm. right, that we were talking about earlier and the the reason we started the blog. But we very quickly realize if you only write that and you don't think about SEO and social media marketing and, you know, whatever else and getting it out there and almost treating it like a business, whether it is one or not, then no one will ever read it. And so there's no point in doing it in the first place. So even if you want to start a blog, just for fun, you have to go through all the marketing and all the business decision-making processes that a pure-for-profit blog would do. Yeah, and um, another kind of note on that, you had mentioned like the markets that we are in, you know, finance and travel are pretty saturated, and that's true. But I ha we have kind of noticed um, a benefit to kind of doing both is um, with travel stuff, it is a lot more like SEO friendly in the sense that we get people who are coming to read about our van and then they discover 
how to optimize their finances. And we've had people actually like message us and be like, I was not even looking for this information, but like, thank you for making me think about this stuff, you know, like, and that's really nice. Yeah. It's, that's almost like a marketing secret of our blog is having travel content on the blog because it's, it's really universal. Almost. <laughs> it's really a personal finance slash lifestyle design blog. Like that's the point. That's why it exists. But by writing about interesting destinations and how to travel cheaply and camper vans and stuff like that, which is cool info. And we like writing about it because it's fun. It's not our core content, but that brings people in from Google search that lets us post beautiful Instagram worthy photos that go viral and people want to see and, and that oh, are fun to take. <laughs> yeah, and, and it adds a lot of fun and encourage us, encourages us to travel more, mm-hmm. which is great. Work on our hobby photography. And... But, but in reality, the travel side of our blog is kind of just a marketing ploy to pull people in top of the funnel and then we'll, we'll secretly teach them about personal finance and improve their lives if they get to the bottom of the funnel and read through the blog. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I was going to say we, we were at a presentation this weekend and our mutual friend Carl had a slide and he was making fun of the 29, I'll use you specifically, <laughs> the 29 year old, uh, you know, rich, retired, uh, beautiful camper van couple like living it up in national parks. So did, did it, did that hit home a little too close? Uh, I'd like to say that we both felt personally attacked. Yeah. yeah that thanks slide. Carl. Yeah. Those several slides, in fact, like they were, it, it was an onslaught almost yes, but one after the other. I was like, I, mm, did he go through our feet? Our press I, page? I almost felt like his eyes purposely averted looking at us while he was he presenting knew. that. He yeah. knew. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it, well, and the thing is, Carl did throw himself under the bus. He had like a beach picture and he's like, living my best life or some bullshit. Yeah. You know? No, no, we're not so, bad at all. No, 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 yeah. no. no. <laughs> but we were just like, that's it was ironic. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, you bring up a good point. You can write the best stuff in the world, but if people don't find it, if there's no thing to draw them in where they're at, not where you want them to be, right. then there's no point. They'll never see it. You mm-hmm. need clickbait. Even if your content is rich and meaningful, you have to have clickbait because no one will read it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And people should check out uh, some of the headlines because it's very clickbaity. I felt um, like tinges of, you know, looking at Pete, Mr. Money Mustache's blog because some of his are like clickbaity. You're like, oh, what is this going to say? Very strong language. Yeah. Not like adult, but like just... um direct authoritative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and he, he was a huge influence on us i i almost feel like when i'm writing blog posts like i can't help but think of things that he has said because his blog you know influence, influenced influenced mm-hmm. us a lot and we're really thankful that he wrote it and put it out there for free and so we kind of wanted to do that same thing but with our own flavor to it yeah our own voice that was definitely something too because i feel like <clears throat> whether you're a journalist or a marketer um you know a lot of times, you know, if you're not an independent person, if you're not like working for yourself for on your own blog, you are writing to someone else's voice or tone. And so it was definitely like an interesting exercise for us to develop a tone that made sense um, that like either of us would almost be comfortable saying this, you know, sentence this way in real life, um, especially having had the influences of, you know, Pete over the years and, um, you know, other other sources of material and other 
um, jobs that kind of have influenced that writing style. So it was interesting to work on that together and flex that, like, what is our voice, you know? How long did it take to, like, figure that out? I'm, I would just say it's continuous. Yeah. And I, I'd like to believe that our content gets better every day. Yeah. Do you go back and edit older stuff, like some of the early where you were really trying to find your voice? So I, Lauren, I think rarely does this. Yeah, uh, I am, I'm bad at this. I'm obsessive about uh, reading our older content and reading our entire blog. I mean, I sit at home just randomly. Like if I have nothing to do, I'll just be like, let me just go to tripofalifestyle.com, check out that site. <laughs> and then I just click around and I read stuff and I'm like, hmm, like this sentence could be tweaked in this way and it would make my point slightly stronger. And so I I do actually do that a lot. I'm one of those creators who struggles with like uh, reviewing their own work. Like I don't want to see stuff that I've painted three years ago or drawn three years ago. I don't want to read articles that I've written. I don't want to like see interviews that I've done. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm done with, like I, it's out there and that's it. Like I, I struggle with that personally. That is like one of my, but that's just me being like an awkward person, I think. <laughs> okay. That's okay. This message is brought to you by Otis Global and they're your source for age domains with strong branding. And their tagline here is Domainate like domain, uh, online. So you can kickstart your online business with a premium age domain from Otis Invest in sites that grow in value with built-in SEO to help your site get seen. I threw in a little extra ad lib there. So I, you know what? It's pretty close to their tagline. Okay, here's the deal. They have a deal going on during August. So if it's still during August by the time you hear this, they have 30% off. So the other cool thing is if you join with my affiliate link, you will get um, $100 into your account. Once you're approved, I am an affiliate, so I'd earn a commission if you purchase anything. The thing is today, we're gonna have a look at the featured domain, which is Robot Living. And it was a site that covered the latest news in the robotics industry, as well as how to build basic robots for the home, which is, kind of odd because this was back in 2007, 14 years old. I guess it wasn't that long ago, but I'm sort of imagining these kind of robots and the technology that we had at the time in 2007 compared to what we have now. And I'm imagining some of the robots. I mean, now we have those little robot vacuum cleaner things, the Roomba or whatever they're called. We don't have one, but I know they're out there. So this site has a domain rating of 17. It has been as high as 32. And the domain authority is 34. Of course, it's very brandable as far as the domain name because it has robot right in there. And I think it would fit well for any sort of like AI technology or robotics or uh, like robotic home kits or any kind of little projects like that. It would be perfect for any kind of smart home technology. Um, there's so many devices. I mean, here at the at the house, we have a couple of the smart switches, which can integrate with our phones. And we have a Google Home device. And then we have the Ring. And all these little pieces of, uh, well, really just technology taking over our homes. But 
it's super convenient. And I know we've had many questions as we've tried to install things and use things. So you have the capability to have a lot of product reviews for those affiliate items. Plus you'd be able to just have informational content. When I took a look at the Wayback Machine, well, it spans very far and, and some of these look decent. I'm looking at a, a, a snapshot from 2016 and it actually looks pretty decent. It looks like one of the sort of standard WordPress kind of themes and it doesn't look too weird. But when I go back to some of the very early days, it does look like a very old website from 2007. It, it's remarkable how much uh, just the websites have changed. It doesn't look terrible, but you can see this site does indeed have some age. It has some uh, fantastic backlinks from Reuters, Slate, Double uh, E Times, which is, I believe, the Electrical Engineering Times. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty nerdy outlet. When I take a look over at Hrefs, I see there are 302 do follow referring domains, 390 referring domains total. And I mean, it looks like a pretty strong backlink profile when I investigate a little bit further. And I think the cool thing with this particular site is just the fact that you have all this new technology, a growing area of technology, again, with AI and some of the other uh, ways that we can link up our house and, and have Wi-Fi devices all over our homes, you have this really nice platform to do that. And a lot of these items, a lot of the products that you could review would be quite expensive. The other piece of the puzzle is all the questions that you could ask, all the questions that people have about robotics and smart home technology. It's kind of a slam dunk to have uh, almost unlimited questions because you have all these different ways to interface. Some people are on uh, Apple devices. Some people are on uh, Android devices, or you know, other or other things that they want to integrate. And there will be many questions associated with those. So it's perfect for display ads. And because it's a technology niche, there's a strong chance that you maybe can earn a little bit more than if it was something less commercial something that maybe the advertisers wouldn't earn as much from. So check out robotliving.com over at Otis. And if you happen to be able to take advantage of the, the deal in August, that is fantastic. If not, there's still great deals over at Otis. Thanks again. And I guess we'll see you soon. So we were talking clickbait headlines and you guys have been able to get coverage on huge blogs and as someone who typically works sort of in the affiliate marketing area and then sites with display ads, usually there's you know both of those things happening. People are, I mean, they try to get links and it's very difficult. And you guys have been able to get, you know, huge coverage the headlines write themselves. And I, I think in a conversation we had, I was like, did you intentionally do your trip to say 63 national parks in seven months, um, semi-retired, like that headline writes itself. It, it's perfect. So what's your approach to get this coverage? So it was not 
uh, correlated at all because we had we didn't even have the blog when we started that trip, right? Like that was just us being like, it's time for another adventure. Let's just do something fun. Um, but it is an interesting strategy. Like if you do cool shit, like it's easier to promote it versus just being like another person repeating the same thing that everyone else is saying. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you are able, like a good exercise in trying to get um, coverage is writing the headline yourself. Like what would you, if you were the journalist covering yourself, what would you write? And like that becoming your pitch to a journalist, because I think a lot of people struggle with like, they think it's on the journalist to write it, but journalists are so busy that if you can just pitch them the idea and it writes itself almost, and it's interesting from the get go, then they're more likely to take you up on it. And did you actually go and, and pitch outlets or how did you, okay, can you take us through that? How'd you find the contact info? Like, how did you approach them in general? So uh, at my previous job, um, I had a nickname director of harassment because I'm really good at finding the right people and then like following up until they tell me to leave them alone. Um, and that's just uh, the kind of person I am. Yeah, she's <laughs> very nice about it. I'm very nice. I'm never mean. I just like until you say no, like there's a chance, right? Like I'm just too optimistic. Um, and so I think that's kind of my approach. That, I, that's a perfect description. Too optimistic. Yeah. Like she she doesn't stop until it's a hard, like, no, no, thank you. Okay, yeah. well, then we'll leave you alone. Yeah, no like, but you have to tell me otherwise, like, you might get, keep getting asked. Um, so... Uh, that is kind of my approach. And so, um, I mean, I use a variety of sources to like zero in uh, the best way to do it is finding, like identify the outlet. And then you need to find specifically the reporter who covers the topic or topics that you are going, that you, that cover like what you're doing. So like for us, I define travel writers, right. To cover our national park strip at specific outlets. And so, you know, you just click around. Um, it's tough for like example, USA Today has a lot of special to USA Today. So they're not actually like USA Today employees. Um, they work for other outlets or independently. And so it's harder to find their contact information sometimes. Um, but going specifically to like their staff pages, a lot of the um, news outlets have staff pages where you can get a sense of their email and then fill in the blanks with their name. Um, and that's most of what I do. I use you know, I'll use LinkedIn, I'll use their own website, I'll just Google them. A lot of journalists have their email address just in their Twitter bio. And again, that can work for the same outlet, even if it's a different journalist. Like, I don't need journalist A, I need journalist B, but I can see their email scheme and now I can email them. Okay. Inside the pitches, what was in them? How long were they? Did you suggest ideas? Was it bullet points? Can you be as detailed as possible? <laughs> um, I'm probably too wordy. I feel like every time I show Steven like a pitch email, he's like, this is a lot. Um, but I'll, I will summarize my opinion of your pitches and then you can. Oh, great. Oh my God. My, is this going to be a live criticism? No, I, no, it's not a criticism <laughs> at all. I think it's what makes you unique is that, uh, when I read a pitch email from you, it just feels like you're being yourself and being honest and being like, I don't know, just, just you're actually pitching an idea because you believe it's a good idea that will be good in that person's publication. And here's why it just feels genuine and not like an ad or a, or a spam email. I do try to like 
infuse a lot of familiarity into them. Like if if someone's name is Alexandra, but their Twitter is filled with people tweeting at them, hey, Allie, like then I'll call them Allie, not Alexandra. Like I try to find like you don't want to spend too much time on that like initial research end because then it's like a huge time suck for someone who may not even respond, which happens quite a bit. Um, but it's it, it is worth like the initial investment and you get faster at it to personalize it. I mean, I had pitches, but they were templated to some extent where I could insert name a publication or, you know, not by mail merge, but just going through it myself and saying like, you know, you had written this piece. And so I think that, you know, you might be interested in this. And I, and here's why I think your audience would like it too. Like I, I try to lay out, I try to hit those points. Um, I think she does spend too much time on each one because when she says you had written this piece, whatever, and then said she actually read the piece and then like says, says something about it. And and but I think that that spending what most people call too much time actually really pays off for her. And she's in charge of all this stuff, yeah. really. So, but I I do try to write the my own headline. What would it be? You know, and infusing that. I mean, I I also. Um, kind of put my like almost suggested headline or like few key words there um, in the title of the email, Um, you know, and some of them say like, don't pitch me ideas or pitch ideas here. And I, I, I will occasionally go the like generic route first, but most of the time, like someone is filtering that and you're not getting a person who really is going to care about this specific topic. That's why it's better to go to the specific person. But in terms of the pitch, yeah, it's probably a couple of paragraphs. Sometimes I bullet point if it makes sense. Um, It's usually relating to what I have to offer. Um, I don't – we get tons of, like, guest post pitches, and they're always, like, bullet points of ideas – but I only ever email one idea at a time. Like I don't ever suggest to someone like I can talk about all of these things. It's very focused because I'm focusing also on that reporter who covers that topic. Okay. And then would you be willing to share like a genericized uh, sample of an email that you have sent with like, you know, fake headline, not a real email that you've sent? I mean, I could probably share my national park email. I could see, I mean... Okay. That was that, check it out after yeah. and see if there's something. Yeah, I can see what I've also written plenty that like don't get any response at all. Right. And that's fine too. But like that's the thing is sometimes you'll get responses and sometimes you won't. And sometimes it's a matter of following up. I've had plenty of people who say, like, oh, I didn't see this. And like, thanks for following up. And I have plenty of people who still don't respond, like, after the third. And I'm like, hey, anyone else that I should be talking to instead? Like, I'm always super nice about it. I never get like annoyed that no one's answering. Um, it could be the wrong day. Maybe they had a staff meeting and back to back being pulled around. I mean, we all have had a job at some point where we were way too busy to respond to an unsolicited email. So like, just keep in mind, like your place in their life and be polite, I would say is like really big in the pitches. I, I tried this job for a couple weeks. I sent out, you know, 30 emails. Well, I had some ideas that like were specific for like either men's magazines or like, you know, related more to like you should do it because you're a teacher or like things like that yeah and he was like didn't work out it didn't work (laughs) well and i was gonna say the i hate that shit too i I, it's really hard for me but i know like it can be obviously really effective so do you have a handle on like the success rate of 
your pitches if you just had to throw sort of a ballpark is like three or four percent which you know that would actually be pretty decent considering i mean it's probably higher than that like if i'm distilling my entire career of sending outreach emails because i did that at my last job too like 10 to 15 percent response rate is like generally like what i've got depending on like what you're pitching obviously some pitches like are very unanswered and some are not. I think it depends on the industry and the type of pitch. And like, if you've reached the right person, like it's very, very dependent. Um, And again, like keeping that positive note, like it is very, um, I mean, I try not to be like emotional about it. I don't usually get emotional, but I can get like a little downtrodden if I've sent like 30 emails and zero responses. Um, But I found that like a lot of times what Uh, that's exactly what happened to steve only took one time for me to quit (laughs) yeah but the but like i I found generally it's the second it's the follow-up email that gets them hardly anyone responds on email one okay yeah and i i too get a lot of unsolicited emails and these days the follow-ups everything's automated mail Mm -hmm. merge like you mentioned so it's just generic stuff so i just mark it as spam these days yeah i'm like come on you can tell it's automated. yeah yeah and that's the the worst like if you if you have an idea that's actually good for someone's publication give them that idea and tell them why it's good and the likelihood that they're going to respond positively is so much better than just spraying out a list of random ideas i mean we we get the craziest pitches for like guest posts on our site that it's apparent that they didn't even read the home page of our website yeah Yeah. they're just scraping emails and whatnot Mm -hmm. yeah and let's see here. So we talked about promoting the site. Oh, fi- finally, um, you mentioned the, in the subject, you will put what you think probably the headline should be. So that'll s- suck them in. They're like, oh, actually, like if if they open the email, they're, they're probably interested, most mm-hmm. likely. Okay, very cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a look. And if we can get the sample, I'll... I'll put a link so we can share it out with folks. And I'll say another tool that really helps me stay on top of that sort of thing. Um, I use a plugin called Streak. It's a like mini CRM for Gmail and um, you can like organize pipelines. It's more for like sales, but you can tell it that like this is for blogs or whatever you can, you can, it can be for any projects. They have like templates, but I just set my own up to say like, you know, initial outreach and then like follow up, you know, one follow up to finding another person, like moving it away to like stop bothering them or to circle back with someone later. And you can leave notes for yourself. You can create like, if you really get into it, I just go and look at my pipeline of like where things are at and if I need to respond, but like you can set it up, not automated, but where it gives you tasks but I just go in and look. Um, but that's a really easy way to stay on top of like how many emails did you send to whom and when, like how long has it been since you last messaged them? Cause it's so easy to like lose things in your inbox. Um, and so that's a really easy way to keep track of it. And it has uh, built into it like a pixel tracker. So you can see if someone's opened it and like, I can always tell when someone's forwarded an email cause it gets like open 16 times and I get like all these notifications and I'm like, Oh, they're looking at it. Like yeah. it's exciting sometimes, but, um, but it is like a little bit useful. Sometimes that tracker isn't always accurate, but like it is a touch point anyway. Okay. Very good. And anything else, tips on, you know, getting press coverage or reaching out with cold emails? Anything else you could think of? 
I mean, being genuine, I feel like is, is key. Um, sounding like a human, um, following up, uh, but yeah, I mean, finding the right person is the hardest part, I think. Um, and that requires the most effort, like, cause once you have like the meat of the email that you want to send, um, we'll say templated, but it's a soft template. You go in and make changes that are relevant to that person. Um, once you have the meat of that, the real effort is in finding the right person and then finding their contact information and like not giving up. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. And you got all this coverage. I imagine you get some traffic because, you know, people know about the blog. So can you talk about, about the traffic and maybe the trajectory of the site, especially early on and uh, curious about, you know, revenue numbers that you are willing to share? Sure. Um, so first I will say that if you're going to start a blog, I, I think um, based on our sample and plus talking to other people, the key is uh, be ready for a slow, slow growth at the beginning. Um, it's, it follows more of like a really slow growth at the beginning than exponential growth later on when you hit something successful kind of curve, if it ever succeeds. And you also have to be prepared for like complete failure that could also happen. Um, but that's, that's what happened to us is it was very slow growth in the beginning. And then, you know, we, uh, we're getting all these links from news sources and stuff. And a lot of those came in at once. And then we saw this, you know, huge boost in traffic from Google search. And then we found out how to make our social media kind of go a little bit viral, um, especially through like TikTok and Instagram reels were really successful for us. And we saw another like huge surge in like followers and traffic to the blog and all that. So you're gonna like have this bumpy ride where you may have, I mean, really, if we like put in context our first year, it's like, you know, the first year you could round to zero our traffic almost, but then like we had this, these couple of big level ups of success and, and now we have like sustained pretty good traffic or, or at least traffic that we're happy with. So it's cool. And, and then you see people actually reading what you post and it makes you more motivated to post more and to talk more and share this stuff because you're actually sharing it with real people who are responding. Nice. I also think that, you know, sometimes what I've heard from like peers who do have a blog, they, um, I don't know, they kind of expect that traffic would be sustained from a single source, like getting a press mention, but it's not about like, we did get a huge bump. Like when we got our, um, our Buzzfeed article that month, we had this huge surge in traffic. I mean, there were people on the site were like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen this many people on the site. I mean, it was like, two months into our site. So like it was, yeah, that's true. That, that was a really early success, but it was, it was like a flash in the pan. Yes. So there would be like 50 active users on the site at the same time. And like two months into our site, we were like happy if there was one user on the site right. where we would look, you know? And so, the, but the point is that we got that link and then that later helps sustain the Google search traffic, which is where we've had more users coming from um, later on, like yeah. it, it grows your authority to be able to write on subject matters that you want to show up in Google search for. And, um, and then now we're seeing more, uh, referral traffic from social media because we've been putting in some effort there. And it's interesting to see. I, I like that we have this variety of sources right now. It's very, I don't feel too dependent on like, got to write these SEO articles or I got to, you know. Yeah. You had asked also about revenue 
Um, and I guess our blog is kind of weird in the sense that we started it without really giving any thought. This wasn't like a side hustle for us. This was like a post-retirement or entering into retirement fun project. Um, and like I said before, like our goal was shout financial independence from the rooftops. Like tell other people, especially people who are like 21 years old or whatever, getting out of college and have the best shot at it. Tell them about this financial independence thing. Like you can retire when you're 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever it is. Um, so we we're just excited to tell people stuff. So in terms of revenue, like it was a, a solid zero in the beginning for sure. Not just because we didn't have traffic, but because we weren't monetizing in any way either. And then we eventually realized like, well, you know, we do talk about stuff on our site that could be monetized. So like, our camper van. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in our camper van and we do talk about it because if you want to travel cheap and go to camper van, buy this stuff. It's a good idea. It'll, it'll make your life more efficient. So then we found out about like, you know, Amazon affiliates and eBay partner network and all those things. And so we threw some affiliate links on our site and our strategy with that was just, well, if we were already talking about it anyway, make it an affiliate link, who cares? Right. And then you know, we threw AdSense on our site as well because it's like, okay, well, people are scrolling through our pages. Why, why not show them some ads? That doesn't really hurt anything with our content. But our general rule, I guess, was since our original purpose was to get a message out there and help people out with free information, we never wanted to charge for information and we never wanted to write stuff just to sell a product or recommend anything that we weren't just already going to recommend anyway. So that's how we use affiliate links is like, if it's something we wrote about already, just make an affiliate link. So I would say our revenue is quite low because of that. Um, we haven't really treated it like a proper business. We're trying to get the message to as many people as possible. So our total blog revenue, I'm happy to share because it's public on our website. We catalog it. Total blog revenue as of last quarter for about two years is only $3,500. So not much. Um, and the way that's set up and what's actually been kind of motiv motivating us some lately is we decided, well, if we're going to have these affiliate links, you know, that might like generate distrust because sometimes like, I don't know about you, but when I go to a blog or whatever, and I'm trying to Google like, you know, best accessories for my camper van or whatever it is. And I read something in their affiliate links. I'm like, well, did they tell me these are good? Cause they're good. Or did they tell me these are good because they had the best affiliate payouts available or whatever it may be? So our policy has been a strict incidental affiliate links only. And the way that we sort of assure people of that is we actually take everything we make from affiliate profits or credit card referral links, anything where we're recommending a thing to you. And we just give away all the profit from that 100% to charity. So there's no incentive for us to like give skewed recommendations. And then the revenue from like AdSense and just incidental stuff where we're not recommending things, we keep that for ourselves as like a little extra motivator to keep writing, keep doing the blog. So as it grows, we're giving more money to charity and we're making a little bit for ourselves. That's been about a 70-30 split so far. So 70% affiliate profits to charity and about 30% has come to us so far. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Which, I mean, you have to pay for hosting and other yeah. things that you're doing. So mm -hmm. it's like the cost of running business almost. I mean, it's probably break even ish. Yeah. Right now. I mean, our, our revenue has been pretty small. Again, most we have the traffic, but if you're not trying to monetize it, it's your revenues are going to be lower than someone who's going to try to monetize. So you have to kind of decide like, am I doing this for fun and to help people? Or am I doing this to run a business and make as much profit as possible, which is 
completely fine. It's just a different goal. Right. It's like definitely <clears throat> I know like a lot of recommendations on like side hustle websites are like start a blog and like if you're starting a blog to make money, there's like definitely a different approach. <laughs> yeah. And anything else, Lauren, uh, as far as the monetization or traffic or anything like that? Do you do the keyword research, for example, since you had the digital marketing background? Oh, yeah, I do. Steven usually will um, tag me on Trello and say like, okay, I need you to figure out the keywords here. Because like, you know, how you phrase something, it's the same meaning, but it has more search volume if someone's saying like, you know, camper van as, you know, one word versus two, or maybe it's conversion van or van, you know, converting a van or a specific name of the van. So like, I, I do do all that stuff because I have the background in it. Um, and I just use Moz. They have a lot of free tools. Um, if you're using the free version, you only get 10 searches a month. Um, but I find that, you know, we're not writing those kinds of articles that often that I can't um, utilize those efficiently. Like I can wait a few more days for it to reload if I'm running out or what have you. Cause we're not really writing. We're not, we're also not writing as much anymore because we've kind of spread out our efforts, um, making a few more YouTube videos, doing more on social media. So we're writing a little bit less. Initially we were writing an article a week. Um, and we've kind of slowed down that pacing. It's maybe once every two, three weeks or so now. Our marketing efforts, um, definitely focus on how do we reach like 20 something people? Mm -hmm. Cause that's who financial independence can have the best impact on. So, uh, early on, you know, obviously writing about like how to live and travel the world in a camper van, like that's something that would probably appeal to that demographic of people and sort of suck them in and then secretly teach them about personal finance. Right. <laughs> and so now lately Instagram reels and TikTok great for reaching that demographic because mm -hmm. uh, that's where young people are right like especially tiktok and so we've been making a fool of ourselves making these little videos absolutely yeah. making some of the dumbest videos ever uh, how ridiculous and, yeah, can we be <laughs> but but they're really just ads basically to mm -hmm. get your attention bring you to the blog and then you learn something hopefully so yeah but it's it because of the short time period it's easy to go and like grab a snippet from an article and turn that into you know a 30 second trailer almost for like now go read the article so you like get the meat you know yeah it, it's it's a real challenge though to convert people from a platform like tiktok or instagram especially to a website um you know whether whatever your reason is for doing that it's pretty difficult because your only method really is your link in bio and so telling people in a caption or in a video like go click the link in my bio like the amount of people who are going to do that Here's what I'll say. It's not as much as you would hope it would be, but it's actually way more than I believed it could be. He's like, no. And I'm like, we have to do it. He's like, absolutely. Like, Lauren, no one's going to do it. I'm like, well, Lauren, Lauren is the infinite optimist, as we said earlier. <laughs> so she was like, I am. <laughs> no, just put it in the caption, click the link in our bio, and they'll click it. I see other people do it all the time. Clearly, it's working. I'm and like, I do it. Like, I click through the link yeah. if, if it's something I really care about. It's like, not, I never do that. I don't think I've ever clicked a link in bio. Like, I, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm just going to scroll to the next post. But it, it actually He's does He's the work. hardest to convert. Like, he, I'm like, but you are not an average user. Yeah. So you can't do things based on your experiences on the internet. Even mine are, you know, more personal than the average user. But I, I do click a link in a bio occasionally and I get and, – and we don't actually – and I'm sorry if I'm, like, stealing this conversation <laughs> a little bit. But we don't use any of those link in bio, like, tools, like the tree, like, the shopping, the images, because – 
to me as a user, when I get turned in, when I click through to that, I'm like, ah, oh, I was like on something from 66 weeks ago somehow from a hashtag or in my explore. And like now I have to scroll their whole feed again to find it or the link tree is only five items. And what I found was something that they've already removed from it, you know, like. So ours is literally just a link in our bio to our website, and we tell you how to get to the article. Like, use our navigation to get to. And Here's that, the article title. Of, that's evergreen, because mm-hmm. they'll always be able to take that path to find the article, or just type the article name into the search bar on our site. So that's worked okay. And I've noticed some people type the search bar, and some people actually follow the navigation. will like, watch their paths through the site. But anyway, I, I was proven wrong. And yeah. it does work. Link in bio works. And I will mention that if if social media is part of like your marketing strategy, like for any of your your listeners who just want to grow their site in one way or another, it's not just getting backlinks and getting press coverage. Social media can be worthwhile. But like the trick to social media that I think we've learned that a lot of people, I guess, don't realize is certain social media platforms are designed to show your posts to people who do not follow you. And other platforms only or almost only show your posts to people who do follow you. So as an example, like if you make an Instagram post, a picture post, and you put a bunch of hashtags on it and you're like, yes, this is going to go viral, like through these hashtags or whatever, there's almost zero chance that's going to happen. There is a chance, but there's almost zero chance. Whereas Instagram Reels, the whole design of that platform is to spray out your video to random people who don't follow you and see if they like it. So if you have very low follower count and you don't have anybody to get your content out to, Reels is awesome. Posts on your your grid are almost useless. And so TikTok is another platform that's designed to just blast it out there to people who don't follow you. It's a great way to grow from zero. And then to a lesser extent, like YouTube, uh, or at least we haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Maybe not to a lesser extent, actually. Probably YouTube is just as great. We just haven't mastered it yet. Um, but for us, to a lesser extent, YouTube... And then, of course, Google search is like, it's almost like the bread and butter. It's like this consistently drives people to the site because we have a nice backlink profile now. And I will say, though, that social media, in addition to using it as a marketing tool to pull people in as like a top of the funnel into your site or whatever else you're trying to get them to go to, it is still also a community building um, effort. And I think, you know, you had mentioned like oh your grid is only for your followers so if you have a low follower count like eh, the grid but you still need to work on that because those people will that will grow and you still need the engagement right they need to have some reason to to care about you and you know we used to write shorter captions and i've convinced even now that we need to write slightly longer captions he was like no one reads captions on instagram like absolutely not that's not true i see captions that are multiple paragraphs all the time and um somehow i'm also drawn into reading them so people are reading them i was totally wrong totally wrong Uh, i thought that instagram was a picture and video platform (laughs) and no people like read this like drawn out like two 2000 character caption that we'll write and they will comment about a thing you said midway through this giant monologue so like they do they read the captions and it's really worthwhile to like speak to you if if you have a follow once you have a follower base it's worthwhile to write good captions yeah okay and i know steven is it fair to say that you're you're more of a blog reader than a TikTok or Instagram consumer. All right. This is blasphemy since this will be like on YouTube, but <laughs> I literally hate video. Um, I I don't like 
really producing videos as much as I do writing, and I I never consume video content unless I'm forced to because it's the only platform for me to watch. I will read a blog. I will even read a book occasionally, left to a lesser extent. But I like to read because with reading you can search, you can skim, and I also feel like people usually communicate at their best level or at least I do when writing because you have time to really think out exactly what you're going to say like if I could rewrite all my responses in this podcast today to be the perfect combination of words and people would actually consume it to the same level I would do that but they won't and so you have to accept it's something I had to accept is the reality of the world some people don't like to read and other people do like to read, and you have to have both. You have to have video, and you have to have written content. So we're working on more video now, and that's also hard for me, as I mentioned earlier. I'm not like a big. Um, we're both. Uh, we're more behind the scenes. We, we both people. prefer writing. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it is. I think. Uh, important to flex that muscle. It's a good challenge for us to yeah. work on that. And I do think that there's, I mean, video content is huge because there is some stuff that people just want to listen to, um, whether they're on a commute or they want to read or they want to watch because they're um, visual learners or whatever. You can put graphs in, you know, still and um, the same visuals we would use, you know, now we just have to figure out how to turn it into like B-roll, <laughs> um, which is like weird but <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. it's really been fun as a learning experience and as forcing yourself to do something new which like in like the early retirement world that's like such an important thing is like forcing yourself to do new stuff and learn new things that's what keeps life interesting and so yeah. i think we're both better for it and i'm glad that we're doing video it's just a challenge it's just been hard yeah <laughs> okay but I, going back to do you like TikTok? Stephen does, in fact, like TikTok. Well, he, you can't not get addicted. He likes he likes the humor videos. videos. He it watches. There's so well. there's yeah. so many good like little bits of comedy, almost like the greatest vines that we used to have back in the day. It's the same kind of concept where you have this limited time space, and there are people out there making like hilarious stuff that you're like, how did you even think of this? And like, you know, they're not even well done. It's not like it's like well produced. It's just hilarious, and we we do sometimes occasionally we'll post a video, and then we get like sucked in and we're like holy crap we have to stop <laughs> yeah it's the worst it's really the worst well and i was curious and actually both of you gave well steven i kind of knew what your answer was going to be <laughs> but I, I wasn't quite sure what yours would be lauren so has it been hard to sort of transition more of your time to produce the video content now luckily it is like photography adjacent so yeah. it's pretty yeah. like it's kind of fun to do some of the other stuff but yeah how hard has it been to like transition a lot of that time and effort away from the kind of content the medium that you preferred so for me um what's happened is i think in the early stages we were both really excited to write blog posts as fast as possible and put out as many as possible we were we had a goal set of one blog post per week and it was almost the only thing we were doing mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the reason why we wanted to do that was because we wanted our blog to become like a complete ecosystem where if you land on the blog, you can actually learn how to become financially independent, travel more, live freely, do these fun things without having to go to external sites. So, you know, I talk about stock investing in an article about the 4% rule. 
well, if I don't have an internal link to my site to tell you how I invest in stocks and, and how, we, how we manage our investments or things like that, well, then what good is our site where we don't have like complete information? You can't do anything. So we were trying to basically almost like write a complete book, you know, <laughs> um, in the beginning. And now I feel like on our site, there's enough information. You can really take action and you can like get lost in the site and learn. It's from very it. exciting to see analytics people going from one to the next where there's like a logical progression or we know that there's like those internal links in that article. Like it's exciting to see people like filtering through the site in their own way yeah so the site is definitely not done like absolutely it's not. like it's a complete <laughs> perfect book or anything so we'll keep writing but now that the site's done enough that that someone who comes to it could change their life as a result the exciting thing really is how do i get people to read it and that's where social media and getting backlinks and doing all this marketing comes into play so we have definitely shifted more toward marketing and creating videos and all that and it's still been fun because as a result, we get to see, oh, people are actually going to the site and learning stuff. So. And it is also like encouraging, right? Like we've been spending all this time. We talked about how like we've kind of scaled back the writing efforts. It's not once a week anymore, but it still is motivating because when we do post a new article, like and we we promote it across like our channels, like seeing people all land on it and read it like that's kind of exciting like oh people do like want to read what yeah. we have to say um that's kind of like a little guilty pleasure i guess like it is nice to see people like want to read like you know sometimes i wonder like you know are they listening you know i see the analytics but like when we post on instagram and then you see a bunch of instagram traffic going to that post you're like oh every time they're listening every time we publish an article and then promote it on social media and our email list we will leave up Google Analytics live in our house yeah. Um, for like the next several hours. And or just data like, nerds. Oh, like, where did they go to next after that article? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just fun. But it has been kind of a an easier transition because we feel like we have enough of a like base knowledge on the site now. You know, we have that roadmap. We have, you know, this other content that is enough to lose yourself in or to, to start learning, to start taking action that we don't feel like, Oh man, I mean, we still do this. Like we look at our Trello list of articles and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. Like yeah. it happens all the time. We have to like reprioritize the articles and everything, but like we have enough and that has made the transition to doing this like social media stuff easier. Um, in terms of like getting used to being on camera, it still can sometimes be a little tricky and like I'm really bad about like not slurring my words together um <laughs> like, like terrible at it like to your point about like looking at our trello list like right now like there's an article on our trello list about demystifying your 401k investments you know a lot of people like get their 401k and it gives them this huge list of choices and then they just fill in like i don't know 20 percent in each of these five i have no idea right and like i feel really guilty that i haven't written that article yet because that's useful information and like i tell people get the match in your 401k, but what do you invest in in your 401k? How, Where do you start? <laughs> how do you figure that out? And I I just have to like accept that there's certain things that like people can Google it and find it elsewhere for now and eventually we'll cover it, but you can still become financially independent without knowing the answer to that question. So yeah. it's okay. How <laughs> yeah. many articles do you have on the site total? I I know for sure it's between 50 and 90. <laughs> okay. I was going to say about 100, yeah. like doing the math that you mentioned yeah. before. Yeah. Okay. So a few dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Very good. And it is internally linked really well. I was taking a look and oh, you do thanks. reference like, oh, you mentioned index funds, like here's some information about that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we try to make it like Wikipedia, where like, if you read something and you don't know the meaning of a word, well, I don't want to stop and define the word for you here. But you can learn the entire thing if you want to just open in a new tab and get lost. Stephen loves Wikipedia. <laughs> I love Wikipedia. He has a shirt. Oh, yeah. I would say wikipedia.org is my favorite website on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and if that doesn't tell you how much he loves reading over video. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. There is scarcely any video on Wikipedia. Yeah. So still sticking in the social media area, you were telling mm -hmm. me about a 30-day experiment on Instagram. Can oh, you yeah. tell me ab about that and some of the results that you've seen so far? Because I know you're nearly through with it, right? Yeah. So, you know, what we we started posting reels and these like shorter pieces of video content between uh, reels on Instagram and on TikTok um, about February, I want to say, is when we started early this year. Yeah. yeah um, posting these videos. And um, it felt like and this is like totally anecdotal and just my like sense was that if we stayed consistent and posted, you know, one every day or, you know, one every couple of days and didn't let, you know, a week go by without posting one, that there would be some kind of momentum to there'd be more views. Like Instagram rewards you for posting consistently. Yes. That was the theory. Thank you. That was the theory. And because um, it felt like every time we had a busy weekend and we didn't post, you know, and then we were like off the wagon a little bit and we waited, you know, a week or something before filming another one that that first video just didn't perform as well. And we're like, that was really good. Like similar videos did really well. Like what, why doesn't Instagram like this one? And I was like, it's weird that like maybe the spacing is different. So right now we were trying to test that theory with a 30 day experiment, posting one a day. Um, I think we're roughly 25 days into the experiment. So it's almost over. In and During this process too, reels have I think have gone undergone a change well, anyway before this. That's the reason we did it is that we notice that particularly Instagram reels, um, our views went like way down, like the last one to two months, maybe. Um, and so and I was like, maybe it's the consistency. Maybe we just stick with we it. We weren't very consistent during that time period. So that's why we decided to do this experiment. And what we found, like the result of the experiment so far has been that that wasn't true. Uh, the momentum thing apparently didn't matter so much as we thought it did. Uh, and that Instagram Reels has honestly just straight up slowed down, whereas TikTok has stayed a little more consistent. Um, and my guess for why that is, and this is a total guess, is I think that people are moving away from watching Instagram Reels in particular. I, as a user of Reels and TikTok, like just consuming on the platforms, have noticed that Instagram does a much worse job uh, learning what I like, and it shows me the same stuff same over and over again. all the time. And I think people are abandoning watching Reels all day because they're just boring or, or not as fun. And whereas TikTok, I feel like the algorithm's better. So that's what we're finding is that, like, Instagram seems like it's slowing down, but it's very anecdotal. I mean, it's sample size yes. of us. So. <laughs> and, right. and it felt like, too, in the... Um, so like when people don't like our videos, they let us know in the comments and we've no, we noticed this was earlier on too, that they would be like, stop showing me these videos. And I'm like, why did you comment that? Now you're going to see like way more of them, right? That's how the algorithm works. You, it shows that you like them, but 
what what was happening originally was like if you watched one creator's video, you saw them in your feed, not the same video, which is now what's happening, but more videos from that account. Um, but now it's starting to feel like they're the same videos from the same creator or creators, you know. Mm -hmm. So like there's it seems like there has been a shift um, and more people are making reels, too. So I, I don't know if there's some kind of like supply demand issue at play as well, but. It is funny to mentioning about the the mean <laughs> comments and the negative comments and all that stuff. It the funniest thing about this applies to YouTube as well, but Reels, TikTok, YouTube, any of these platforms that put your stuff out there to strangers is people write mean comments and they think that they're being mean to you by doing that. But comments are one of the main metrics for whether to show your video to more people. So trolls are free advertising for your videos. Like if you I, if you comment, I hate this video, you have just sent the video out to additional people, which is just hilarious. We made me. a reel about it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that well, I'm I'm curious because you guys have done. I, I mean, I have YouTube, and I do see a lot of comments, but like I kind of stopped looking at them in general. So how has it been, especially like? the fact that you were kind of going to social media as a way to market, not because you necessarily liked producing it. So even, even though you understand what you need to do, you're like, eh, I probably wouldn't choose to do this if this was just for fun. So, uh, internet commenters are assholes. So how's that been? So <laughs> we have a policy to be nice to them regardless. Um, we have a never mean policy. Yeah, so like, no matter how <laughs> angry and mean someone is in our comments, they will never receive a mean comment back. The worst we'll do is just stop say engaging. Nothing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. some, sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes like they aren't actually there to like argue. Steven's really into debating, so he's like excited to prove someone wrong if they're just stating incorrect information but a lot of times they well, some of times they're just doing that just to be mean and at that point you're like well you're not even making sense and you're not engaging with the argument anymore so like now we're done well so okay but you know this from like the fire community that people have standard responses to the arguments made in the fire community about early retirement that and was stuff. also part of carl's post or yeah uh, presentation. Yeah. presentation right so when someone takes the opportunity to to say, hey, I don't like this early retirement thing because it means, you know, I don't want to be frugal for the rest of my life or I, you know, want to have kids one day or, you know, whatever the common arguments are, right? It actually is is great from an educational perspective because if I get on and respond to the comment with like a thoughtful, constructive response that really answers that, it's a debate, yes, mm -hmm. technically, that's but what I meant. <laughs> other people will read that response and then they'll learn the answer to that question, right? So I actually think a lot of the negative comments, the ones that aren't like, you're ugly or whatever, <laughs> uh, the negative comments that that address the content, they're useful. I, I think that they help other people learn based on our response and to the criticism. So. And we've had some people actually reply in a thread like that, like, Thank you for responding to me. And I understand I, better. I now. understand now. I didn't. I didn't think of it that way. Like that's always uh, like shining. Like <laughs> I can't believe that there's a person whose mind was changed in the comment section. But it it has very yeah. rarely. But it has happened. It's maybe one in fifty. But yeah. But really, I mean, you change that person's mind. Sometimes you see like then after they say that, it's like this person followed you. You're yeah. like, whoa! Like maybe I actually made an impact on that person. And then you see, you know, 
people liking like your responses and you're seeing people, oh, people are going and reading this content. Like, I mean, comment sections are always, you know, people's like guilty pleasure. They go and read the comments. And so I think there are probably people who aren't engaging and are learning still, you yeah. know? But right now we, we answer almost every single comment. Uh, but it's a lot the to key keep up with, is but... not allowing it to emotionally affect you in any way. So no matter what they say, you're just like, haha, LOL, you commented. Now it's going to send my video out to more people. Like, <laughs> And in fact, replying to your own co to comments on your videos helps because it does increase. You know, I don't know how much it might be discounted in the algorithm. We won't ever know the answer to this, but it feels like. You know, you are adding to the com the number of comments, um, maybe a slightly discounted if it's your own comments on your own video. But, you know, you get I think you're getting a double benefit. Mm -hmm. And anecdotally, it seems like you're getting a double benefit of additional comments on that post. And I bet so the person would get notified. So it's like a person revisiting the post yeah. and like engaging deeper. Unless they block you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. happened as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's good. I, I think, yeah, the comments are tough and the way you described it is perfect. Now, do you keep like canned answers for certain things? If someone's like, I don't believe X and you, you can just do that over and over again. Uh, if, if I was smarter, I would do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But no, <laughs> <laughs> he, re he, I mean, we have, we know the answer, so it's right. not like that much to retype it. We probably I, refine it over time to make sure it's not too much to type out, but I'd say a good, like, 40 to 50% of the replies are like, hey, check out this article on our blog because we directly address that. And so it's a good opportunity to like point people to content as well. And those aren't hard to write. You're just like, hey, check out this article. Go there. Yeah. And it, actually, that reminds me of something you said early on, which is the perfect way to, to look at those platforms, which I never thought of. You have this blog post that you want to get traffic to, and you're doing a small ad, 30 or 60 seconds or however long the time limit is for the platform and you're like, how can I hook people and get them to read the whole thing? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever go those routes. I can consume those as a guilty pleasure, but yeah, I have a hard time like making myself do the content. It's funny that you mentioned, because I've seen that you guys have a lot of reels and videos on TikTok that it's like awkward and stuff. So any tips to like get over camera shyness? I mean, I feel like... <laughs> I don't know if we're good at it. Yeah, I don't know that we're good at it. And I don't know that I'm over the camera shyness. Like, I still am weird. I will say, so, like, this is a, a funny, like, tidbit, I think. Um, initially, we didn't even have microphones. And there were people who commented, like, will get you a get a microphone? Like, we can hear the wind. And we're like, oh, I like, we were trying very hard to not, like, make the wind as noticeable. Sorry. Like, it was so bad. And part of what made that difficult, not having microphones, is, like, you have to be loud. And I am not as loud as Stephen is. And if you're in a public space, um, you know, if you're at a Starbucks or something trying to film a reel. Well, that's the funny thing about us is we're traveling half the time. So we are, we are, we often are filming our... TikToks. In a parking lot. And there, a... there are just people watching. <laughs> yeah. And you just have to get over that. Yes. And I hated, before we had microphones, having to yell. Because one, for me personally, I lose, like, my sense of, like, emotion and, like, inflection. Like, now I'm just being loud and I don't have the same inflections when I'm 
using my projecting voice. Um, I'm not a good presenter, I guess, in that way, um, as Stephen being a, a high school teacher. So getting a microphone helped me be able to, one, sound more professional, but also um, to kind of feel safer because now the person across you know, the parking lot can't hear me, even though they can see me influencing in the wild. It's not the same <laughs> level of like, I'm screaming about financial independence and people are like, what are you even talking about? And like giving me we more weird looks than, than the normal. normal. That's, yeah. that's Lauren's greatest fear, by the way. She always is like, <laughs> we're going to get on influencers in the wild because yes. of this. I don't well, know if you're we're familiar filming with, with that account. Yeah, I, I, you know what, I may have run across it, but I haven't like paid too much attention. Oh, it's so fantastic. It's like, okay, I it's mean, pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty good, and he has other accounts too that are like varying degrees of goodness. But yeah, I feel bad for the people on there, but it, it some is of funny. them are egregious. Yeah. I mean, when you're having your like four-year-old film like you gyrating at the ocean, <laughs> it's like a little like yeah, you deserve to be kind of like there dragged some... for that a little bit. But I'm ones. educating people, please. Don't yeah. make fun of me. So I I took the pleasure of visiting your TikTok page. Oh, is there anything on there? There's even? one video, one video. There from is? this January. Okay. Well, yeah. well, so I don't so even what made you what... stop? Why didn't you keep on? <laughs> so I had just had a... This is a great question. I'm like, now I'm going to go fucking delete it. <laughs> the, Blank account. <laughs> yeah. The I, I interviewed someone who was like, hey, people are actually going to my website and he was posting like some SEO stuff and he was automating it in a way where he was able to produce a lot of videos and he it was working for him. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll try to do one video. And then of course, not consistent at all. I literally just did one video that day and I'm like, all right, <laughs> I have very low interest in, it. even if it went viral, to be honest with you, I probably still wouldn't have continued on. I just the, have low interest. Yeah. The virality I think does help encourage, especially if you are like, I think if you are camera shy, like, yes, it might be um, like a little intimidating to see like large numbers or whatever and all these comments, but it is also kind of encouraging to be like, oh, well, if it reaches like that many people, like it is worth it. <laughs> like it, despite right. my <laughs> maybe like, not wanting to. Getting people to actually read your blog is just so much more fun than writing into a void and having no one consume 100%. your content. So marketing, really, whether you hate it or love it, you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I might do that's sort of in that area is uh, YouTube shorts. So I have a friend who he's hired an editor to edit down some of his like longer videos into the right format which now that those I'm are vertical, about it, right? Yep, vertical. And they're sh how long are the? Aren't they like thirty? To 60 I believe seconds? thirty seconds 30 is seconds. the current limit. Okay, uh, that I sounds mean, right. If you want some unsolicited advice yeah. on that, um, so for most of the time that we were producing TikToks slash Reels, the time limit on Reels was thirty seconds, and the time limit on TikTok was sixty seconds. And since then, those have changed. But we would always film every single one, no exceptions, at 30 seconds so that it could be cross-posted to both. And if you're going to take the time to do uh, YouTube shorts. shorts, they currently, I believe, have the lowest time limit of all. So you already created a video that can be right cross-posted <laughs> to Reels and TikTok. So why would you not do that? It takes like two extra seconds to just post it on all the platforms. So okay. I would just suggest doing it. Yeah. 
One is funny when you said you could just cross post it. I was like, oh, there's two more things I have to do. Sure. <laughs> but you're right. You, like the hard part's already done. Yeah, the yeah, hardest part is done. It's so much harder producing the video than it is to just like copy and paste the caption, click post. Right? And, so. and we tend to be, <laughs> I think because we are writers first and we're used to being able to do that fine editing of posts we're a little bit perfectionists and so we probably put way more effort into making reels and tiktoks than anyone ever should if i'm being honest um it's gonna be more work than you probably if you're wanting to do like a good one it's we script ours like it's not like some people might be better off the cuff, but like we know that we are not. And so especially you said, what do you do for camera shy or whatever? If you're not comfortable, if you're not used to it, pre-plan it. I mean, the filming isn't unless you mess up, isn't always going to be as long as like the creation process, the scripting and then also then the editing and, the and you know, writing a caption and all that. I would also mention about cross posting. Uh, I think a lot of people have success in marketing in one area, like let's say Google search and SEO. And then uh, they don't realize that you have all your eggs in one basket sometimes by doing that. So if, if you're succeeding really well in Google search and then there's a Google update and your traffic drops down to one quarter of what it was before, you're going to really wish that you had spent time on all these different social media platforms building following. So even if your YouTube is like huge, you know, Google could change the way that YouTube works or people could leave YouTube for another platform. And if you're diversified, then you're going to have a more stable and consistent source of traffic. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know a lot of my audience, they mostly like rely on Google search. Mm -hmm. So the algorithm updates could be devastating or oh, yeah. really helpful depending mm -hmm. on what happens. Yep. And yeah, just quick note on recording out there, especially if you're like, or do you guys record on your phone directly or use your other camera gear? We actually use an iPad. Oh, you do? So a big iPad? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's actually... That's why I'm like <laughs> certain that we're going to end up on Influencers in the Wild because it's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like yeah. if you saw two like moderately young people filming like we're 60 because like that's what like grandparents yeah. all like whip out their iPad to like take a picture, you know? <laughs> and like we're doing that and it's like... I hope no one's. It's this. it's objectively funny. <laughs> yeah. If you were to watch from the outside, watching us. Anyway, you were. I That's think asking funny. a question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say. So I don't do many vlogs um, myself, but I have recorded. You know, out walking around doing stuff, and it had been a while. I was re actually recording something like a week ago, like walking around downtown here in Longmont, and yeah, I felt super awkward because I had like a gorilla pod and then like my uh, little mic on top, like totally looked like a, a vlogger and I'm just like trying to get a little B-roll yeah. around here yeah. and that's all. So I can understand. And you must feel even weirder because you're like in your camper van, you're like at the Flying J or whatever, yeah. recording on an like, iPad. It's like opening the door to our house. People already, if you're not filming anything, if you open the side door to the camper van and reveal there's a bed inside your van, every And not like person, a ladder. <laughs> every person I shot is just like, like yeah. literally they just track it with their eyes. So yeah. yeah, we're definitely a spectacle sometimes. So we try to get away as much as possible from people, but it doesn't always work. Yeah. But in the iPad does not help no, with being a spectacle. No. We're like even more so, but. No. <laughs> so any other thoughts on Instagram, uh, the short form videos, social media in general, before we move on? I think that it has been a good challenge if it's something that you're not good at. I think that um, 
you should try it. It's not, I'm not going to say that I'm like good at it, but I'm better than I was. And the only way to do that is to like start and keep going. So I would just want to encourage people that if it's something that you think could be helpful either to your business or you personally in like a growth area, because that's one for me, especially um, to just stick with it and like practice, make yourself do it. I'll give you a marketing hack for uh, Instagram reels and TikTok and probably YouTube shorts as well. That comes from a hilarious comment that I received today on a video. I recorded the first clip in a video with a tiny piece of skin inside my <laughs> nose that kind of looked like a booger. Okay. And I received comments that say, hey, wipe your nose before you film a video, right? And those comments, like like we mentioned before, feed the algorithm and send your video out to more people. So uh, this has been a strategy. We, that was not on purpose. But this has been a strategy <laughs> that we've used on purpose in other videos, which is in the first, like, two seconds, make sure there's, like, outrageous. something outrageous or weird, like, in the background that, like, there's just randomly, like, an axe behind you or something. And people are like... Dude, well, why is there an axe with, like, blood on it behind you? What's the deal here? Like, did you forget to put that away after you murdered someone? And you get free comments, right, which then help your video go viral. So I will say, make sure that it's not, like, ridiculousness for ridiculousness's sake. Yeah. Like, um, most of the, like, comments about weird stuff in our videos were things that we didn't necessarily <laughs> plan. They were just, like, us being a little absent-minded and then people pointing out like how terrible of a person you are for not wiping your nose first yes, or whatever so definitely lots of accidental but ones you can but... you can engineer some of that yeah. without you know donning a clown suit or whatever like you know you don't need to be over the top just to be over the top i think um just kind no. of dovetailing with stevens like i think that it's it is it has been useful but to do it like it's just incidental and it has yeah. nothing to do with the video, but s someone out there can't help but comment on it. He has gotten many comments on like different shirts that he has worn because he has like a Magic the Gathering shirt, yeah. for example. And people are like, oh, Magic the Gathering. And like, that's it. That's the comment. And I, you're like, thanks. I try to wear a different and interesting shirt in every video because really it helps people just like get to know me and makes me like humanized a little bit because they're actually shirts of like things I like. Um, like but, Wikipedia. But all the time, like you wear a Magic the Gathering shirt and like a Magic player can't help but be like, nice shirt, bro. Like, and that's good. That's really smart. And yeah. And any other tips or, or thoughts? I mean, like sometimes I wear like purple lipstick and people are like, why? And you're like, okay, sorry, you didn't like it. Um, yeah, people but get really angry at I did like smoky eyeshadow one time and someone was like, why are you so goth? And I'm like, Thanks this, for the comment. Yeah, this is like one video I did smoky. I sorry. Like <laughs> Wow, I will have to to think about that. Try some I, smoky eyeshadow next yeah. time. Yeah, actually that'll yeah. <laughs> You'll get comments. Yeah. Hmm, I'll have to think about this. <laughs> Put guitars in the background. You've got plenty yeah. of props. Really, I mean, we like, do you try wanna, to use props, actually. If you, if you want to be real about it, just literally have some stuff that you're actually personally interested in around the set, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. That is pretty good. All right. And, oh, and I, I didn't ask you this before, but just so people have an idea, can you share like the number of views or number of followers on TikTok and Instagram to give like a relative sense of where I, you're at? Yeah. Uh, I think on TikTok, we're around 26,000 followers. On Instagram, we're around 18,000 followers. I thought we were like closer to 20. 
Oh. 18. Okay. And then on Facebook, we have around 2,000 uh, followers. Twitter, we're tiny. We have like 650, I think, something like that. That platform we just haven't like plugged into. And I don't, I personally, I feel like I've never been a tweeter. And, and seems kind of dead. The other important metric to kind of look at over time that has nothing to do with social media is your like domain authority. So mm-hmm. ours has been steadily climbing over time. Obviously, you can publicly look it up. I think it's around 40 right now. Okay, yeah. cool. Very good. So shifting gears, you got great inspiration and really Pete, Mr. Money Mustache changed your lives, really. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, you got to meet him in person. In fact, I think I was sitting, having a lunch with him and you guys came up. So how, how was that to take me through meeting him in person and just being able to hang out for a few days with him? Yeah, uh, he's a cool guy. And like like I said, we're both like really grateful that he put out lots of really good information for free and that it helped us really like not just on the information side but just on knowing that there was someone out there who had done the thing that we were setting out to do ourselves that it can be done proof of concept (laughs) yeah and so like it's really cool that he did that and like one of the first things i said to him was just like hey thanks for writing your blog because like it helped it was really Mm -hmm. helpful um and i'll say like uh he in person is not probably who you'd expect if you only read his content, but he's like pretty much exactly who you'd expect if you if you watch him on like podcasts or interviews or things like that. You know, he's like more like reserved, I guess you would say, than the person who's like shouting at you in the blog post. But he does, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, he lives the life that he advocates for a living. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is like, really like i don't know endearing or or good or cool to see and yeah he's just a all-around cool guy i think it was interesting to um getting a sense of like his personality like we kind of were talking like oh it's a lot like how steven is in like group settings like steven gets a little more reserved in group settings he prefers more like one-on-one or like very small group engagements and so like uh this event that we were all at was kind of uh larger not like 200 people but just that it was like more than you know a dinner party and so um you know that over several days and like he's co-hosting in a sense and so it's a lot of effort you know and a lot of and being on all the time if you're not normally a super super outgoing or extroverted person and so Stephen can be like that too and you know need to need time to like have your own space again and so it was interesting to kind of see every once in a while you'd see pete kind of like fall back and i think at one point people were like is he still in the building like you know um and you know he he would take a little bit of time for himself and i think you know that's funny that's not funny but it's interesting because you know steven relates very much to that and so i like i don't know we were respectful of like his space as well because of that and i was like oh i could see that it's a little like overwhelming to some extent because he's used to like living his own life on his own terms, you know, and now all these people are here like demanding attention in a sense. And so that was um, an interesting thing to see like how similar in personalities and like temperament that Steven is to him from a but like bystander person. He's just a regular guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, no, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, he, like, you know, you expect, especially putting on an event that like, you know, we all kind of have a like 
outward personality that we share with people when we're, you know, hosting an event or it's your birthday and you have everyone, you know, it's different than you are with like super close friends or whatever. And so it was interesting to kind of see that at play mm-hmm. and how closely similar you guys are in that personality, I would say, because Steven's a little more reserved in groups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for people that, well, no one knows what it was. It was the, <laughs> was it called the Extraordinary Event? Yes, that I think That so. Alan Donegan put mm-hmm. on from uh, Rebel Entrepreneur. He has a podcast. and He was super cool to meet too in person. He's an extremely cool guy. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Did, mm-hmm. had you guys followed him much before? We heard him on one Choose a Fi episode about two years ago. On our road trip. <laughs> we were actually like really excited about everything he said. I don't even remember what the episode specifically was about, but we we're like, this guy is really smart. And yeah, it was it it was like definitely a draw to this event to go there that he was gonna be there because both of them. Yeah, we just felt like we had a lot in common and it turned out we do have a lot in common and yeah, super cool guy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so there were like fifty some odd people there. And if if I have this right, you guys were hanging out somewhere in Kansas and then you <laughs> saw that it was going to take place. And I mean, I said earlier that you guys have autonomy with your time and can I mean you really have a lot of freedom with that, even though you are working like 10, 11 hours per week. So is that right? You you saw the post and you're like, oh, you know what? We could actually make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we we generally don't plan our road trips like hardly at all and we knew we were going to be on a road trip for somewhere in the vicinity of three to seven weeks (laughs) um and yeah we we had like a very loose plan that we were going to go west slash northwest and so we knew we were going to go further west than kansas so we're like okay why not colorado then that's cool very nice and we're still on the road trip so (laughs) yeah well in where, where are you heading to next? If you could share, you know, just sort of broad strokes. You don't have to tell us these specific campsites or well, anything. Well, tonight I will be playing in a Magic the Gathering tournament, which I Lauren may be joining. It depends. May no, possibly play in as well. And that is in. I think that's in Boulder because like that there weren't. That was the closest one that was happening like today. And so. then we'll probably head north from there. Um, currently probably into uh, canada because they're letting uh u.s citizens that are vaccinated go across the border finally and yeah. we've been like waiting to go we haven't done I don't know any if they're gonna shut it down like any day now yeah. though. i'm really really gotta worried about pay that attention so. to that but we haven't been to any of the national parks in canada and so since we've done all of the american national parks we're like oh it'd be kind of cool cross the border if they let us and so we may or may not go into canada and go to some national parks something like that. okay but you're going north a little bit yeah. anyway mm-hmm. awesome very cool well is there anything that i didn't ask you about that you want to talk about i think we covered a lot this i know was fun. i feel like we did cover a lot yeah. and it's like much more i don't know personal than we talked about like Magic the Gathering. I feel like we've never talked about Magic the Gathering on a podcast before. So I think we talked about everything. You know, the one thing we didn't really talk about is all the national parks. And I'm okay with that because we've yeah. talked about that on like yeah. a thousand podcasts. Yeah, you can literally go to our YouTube channel and like almost every interview is. Is, <laughs> is that one. Yeah, it's true. And the funny thing, that is one of the, you know, topics that I thought about that I may actually do at some point. So I have a huge interest in it. And it was... 
I had to exercise a lot of self-control not to ask you about it. <laughs> well, but we, I, can, we can do a whole episode uh, just on the national yeah, parks if you want. If you want. Okay. <laughs> and we, van life and like digital nomadism. That's true. That. Yeah, yeah. We have enough to probably say about that that we didn't touch on here. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I, I can't wait. And we can do a round two. And I know uh, perhaps whenever I can interview for my other show with, with Carl Jensen on Mile High Fi, we could talk about batteries because I know that's something, <laughs> another thing Another interest? Steve, yeah. <laughs> Steven's huge I into batteries. Like batteries. Yeah. We did talk we to Pete about batteries as well, in fact. <laughs> that is, yeah, a complex man, I yeah. would say. <laughs> so, diverse interests. All right, this is amazing. Thanks so much, Lauren, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Where Thank can you. people find you? We are tripofalifestyle.com. We're also tripofalifestyle on all the various platforms. Except Twitter. Except Twitter. Twitter has a character limit. We're one character off. So we're T-O-A lifestyle on Twitter. But at tripofalifestyle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Yep, perfect. We'll link it all up so they could find it really easily in the show notes and description. And thanks again. Thank you for having us. It was fun.